Please take your Bibles. Turn with me to the book of Acts this morning. Acts chapter 19. We'll begin to read in verse number 1. Acts chapter 19 and verse number 1. Uh, this morning I will speak to you for a few moments on this subject. Defining marks of the used and the unusable. Defining marks of the used and the unusable. I'll ask you to stand this morning with me, all that can and are able in honor and in reverence for the reading of God's holy word. We're in Acts chapter 19, beginning to read in verse number 1. The Bible says these words, And it happened while Apollos was at Corinth, that Paul, having passed through the upper regions, came to Ephesus, and finding some disciples, he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? So they said to him, We have not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. And he said to them, Into what then were you baptized? So they said, Into John's baptism. Then Paul said, John indeed baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on him who would come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. And when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid hands upon them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. Now the men were about twelve in all. And he went into the synagogue and spoke boldly for three months, reasoning and persuading concerning the things of the kingdom of God. But when some were hardened and did not believe, but spoke evil of the way before the multitude, he departed from them and withdrew the disciples, reasoning daily in the school of Tyrannus. And this continued for two years, so that all who dwelled in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. Now God worked unusual miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons were brought from his body to the sick, and the diseases left them, and the evil spirits went out of them. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists took it upon themselves to call on the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had an evil spirits, who had evil spirits saying, We exorcise you by Jesus whom Paul preaches. And there were seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish priest, who did so. And an evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are you? And then the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them, overpowered them, and prevailed against them, so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. And this became known to all the Jews and Greeks dwelling in Ephesus, and fear fell on them all. And the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. And many who had believed came confessing, telling their deeds, and many of those who had practiced magic brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted up the value of them, and it told of 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. And when these things were accomplished... Paul purposed in the spirit that he had passed through Macedonia and Achaia to go, that he, to go to Jerusalem, saying, After I've been there, I must also see Rome. So he sent unto Macedonia two of those who ministered to him, Timothy and Erastus, but he himself stayed in Asia for a time. Let's pray together. Father, I ask that your spirit would speak to us today toward the need of our heart. God, I pray in this place, while there are so many things that Satan would try to bring to our mind, to use as a distraction, to cause us from really hearing what it is that you want to do in our life today, God, I just pray that you will remove all of the avenues that he might have, Satan, to tempt us and to cause us to miss what you want to do in our lives today. God, I pray for the person who's never been saved. 
God, they've got 10,000 tons of religion, but not one ounce of salvation. God, I pray that you will cause them today through the ministry of the Holy Spirit to see their lostness and their need for Jesus Christ, the need to repent and by faith trust Christ to be Lord of their life. God, I pray for believers today that will really take inventory. The truth of the song, Grace, you may sing, God, will, will really resonate in our heart. Or, or can people truly see the Lord Jesus Christ in word and deed in our lives? Are we, like the Apostle Paul, usable? Are you working through us to accomplish your will in this lost and dying world? We just simply ask, God, as we come to a time of invitation, that what you desire to do today will be accomplished as we yield ourselves to your perfect will. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And I'll invite you to be seated. Well, if you're visiting, this statement won't mean as much to you, but for our church family, it will. We've backed up a couple of chapters this morning. Uh, over the past couple of weeks, we skipped Acts chapter 19, and we launched ahead. But this morning, we're backtracking uh, just a little bit. And so we find the Apostle Paul, uh, as he makes his way, verse 1, through some of those upper regions, back into Ephesus. And the Apostle Paul begins to find uh, some different groups of people. They're really in every church, and they're most certainly probably here this morning. Every church you'll find two different groups of people. There's lost people, saved people, but there's also, there's used, those that are used, and then there's the unusable. There are those that the Lord can't work through because of their spiritual state in their life. There are those that God can and will use for the building of His kingdom, and then sadly those because of their spiritual state and standing before God, He, he won't use. I want us to look this morning... Uh, the, what are some of those defining marks of these two groups we find in every church? The usable and the unusable. First off this morning, I want you to notice the unusable. What are the marks of individuals who have attached themselves to a local church and who may sit in any service, one, one just like this this morning? What are the marks of those people? What are some marks upon their life that lend them and bring them to a place that they're unusable by God. One of the first marks is a diluted gospel. They have received and adopted a diluted gospel. Look what happens in verse number 1. The Bible says, And it happened while Apollos was at Corinth, that Paul, having passed through the upper regions, came to Ephesus, finding some disciples. Now, when, when Luke writes disciples here in Acts chapter 19, it's not the same as we saw last week. It's not the same definition because we're going to see their life that we find in Luke chapter 9 and verse number 23. These are individuals that begin to call themselves disciples. They have attached themselves to the local church. And the Apostle Paul, he sensed that something was wrong. As he observed them, he looked at them. The Bible doesn't lend itself to what all was happening. But the Apostle Paul, as he observed these individuals, he sensed that something was wrong. Verse number 2, and he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Now, now notice, the Bible says it doesn't say, you know, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you were baptized? It doesn't say, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you joined the church? It doesn't say, you know, did you, you know, receive the Holy Spirit when you came to Bible school? Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you came into the church because your parents joined the church? He said, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And when the Apostle Paul would write uh, the book of Romans, Romans chapter 8, in verse number 9, the Apostle Paul gives a very clear definition of, of who people are in their standing for, before God. If they have the Holy Spirit, that is, He lives within their heart, or He does, he does not. 
Paul says, but you were not in the flesh. He's speaking to the believers in the church in Rome. He says, but if the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you, he says, then you're not in the flesh anymore. Now, here it is. Listen, he says, now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not of his. Paul says the defining mark, listen, as to whether someone has been born again, and if they die, they're on their way to heaven, is whether the Holy Spirit of God lives within your heart. And so as Paul spoke to these individuals, he didn't say, you know, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you joined the church or you were baptized? He said, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? That is, you know, what, what, did, you, what did you profess? In Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, Paul lays out very clearly, friend, what it takes for someone to be saved. Now, now this is based upon the fact that someone has chosen to repent. This the Holy Spirit draws us to salvation. Without the ministry of the Holy Spirit, friend, you can't be saved. Only he can convict of sin, righteousness, and judgment to come. We can work up an emotional frenzy here this morning. We, we can talk about hell and how hot hell is, and we can try to scare people into being saved. But, friend, no one is scared into being saved. It's, it's a ministry of the Holy Spirit to convict of sin, righteousness, judgment to come, and then you've got to make a decision whether you'll choose to turn and trust Jesus to be Lord of your life. To forsake sin and to turn from it. But then one woman chooses to repent. This is what belief looks like. In the mind of the Apostle Paul, he says, when you believed, this is what he said, verse 9 of Romans chapter 10, he says, that if you shall confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, that is not just believe that Jesus existed, but will you confess him to be Lord of your life? That is, as you turn from all sin, will you ask Jesus to come in, not just be resident, but to be president of your life? Nothing compartmentalized, no areas that are out of his reach or out of his lordship, that if you shall confess the Lord Jesus and then believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes into righteousness. That is, I'm trusting Jesus to be Lord of my life. And then God imputes the righteousness of Christ to my life because I need it. Why? Because I'm sinful. The Bible says in Romans chapter 3 that all the sin have fallen short of the glory of God. That's all of us. And so we stand in need. We need the righteousness of Christ. And friend, I want to tell you, that is truth. Can the world see Jesus in me? But I'll tell you, friend, there's a greater need. Can God Almighty see His Son in your life? That's the great need. Can He see the righteousness of His Son in your life? For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, but with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So when Paul asked the question, you know, when, when, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believe? That's what he means. When you chose to repent and trust Jesus Christ to be Lord of your life, did you receive the Holy Spirit? Because Paul knew they didn't have the Holy Spirit, and they never had really repented and believed. And really it was a question to cause them just to stop and to think. And so he begins to speak to them, and, and, and they say, notice what a sad truth. He said, they said to him, verse number 2, look at your Bibles. We have not so much as we even heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. They've attached themselves to the church. And they didn't even know about the best friend that God had ever given to man. And that's the Holy Spirit who comes to live within your heart. They had no idea. And so he followed up. He's building the case. He says to them, well, then into what then were you baptized? And they said, we were baptized into John's baptism. Well, remember, John the Baptist is a very important individual. Jesus says he's the greatest preacher that ever lived. And Luke chapter 1 God told his father through an angel what a miraculous ministry 
uh, that John the Baptist would have. He would be a forerunner before Christ's earthly ministry began. John the Baptist came on the scene, and he kind of began to prepare the way. He was going to clean the streets. He was going to fill the potholes, so to speak, so that when Jesus began his ministry, there was already a clear foundation. People understood what repentance really was. You know, you say, well, you know, somebody told a preacher one time, say, all your messages sound the same. They just have different jackets. Well, friend, listen, John the Baptist only had one message, and it was repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. That's all he preached. Everywhere he went, he told people, he told a group of Jewish individuals, he says, you need to turn from the direction that you're going to God and believe on Him who's going to come after. You need to get the sin out of your life and be ready to receive Christ when He comes. And so God had told him this. He says He's going to be great in the sight of the Lord. He's going to do wonderful things. Verse number 16 of Luke chapter 1, the Bible says, And John the Baptist, I'm going to use him to turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And so he had this great and wonderful ministry. We see it begin in John chapter 3. And so John had this ministry of baptizing people in water after they made a decision. And the baptism symbolized the washing of the way of the sins that would truly be accomplished once Jesus died on the cross. But a lot of people took John's ministry and tried to make it an end all. And said, you know, well, I've been, I've been baptized... And so I, I, I must be saved. Well, baptism is an act of obedience. Matthew 28, uh, 19 through 20, Jesus commands us to be baptized after we've been saved. Baptism doesn't accomplish anything. This morning we're going to baptize Shelby, and, and we're going to um, baptize... Man, my, just, my mind just went break. Thank you. And so we're going to baptize him. And so we're, they're going to step into the water... And they're going to walk out there, and they're going to stand on this little step, and then I'm going to ask them a question, and then they're going to go down into the water, and they're going to come up. Friend, I want you to understand something. Spiritually, absolutely nothing's going to be accomplished in their life except it's an act of obedience. They've already been saved. And sadly, there are many within the life of the church that think, you know, once they get baptized, you know, that it's, it's really accomplished something. You know, that that's the defining act. Well, that's how I got saved. No, friend, baptism simply illustrates what Jesus has already done in your heart. And so he begins to ask them, into what were you baptized? And so Paul knew what it was that they had been baptized into John's baptism, but they had never received Jesus Christ to be Lord of their life. And so when they heard this, the Bible says they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, why were they baptized? They'd already been baptized by John. Now why would they be baptized again? Because baptism always comes after a saving profession and surrender to Christ's Lordship. I need, you need to understand that this morning. One of the sad trends in the church of the South Many people believe that if they become Baptist, if they came forward and signed a card at some point and just were, were baptized, that that's their ticket to heaven. Friend, baptism is not your ticket to heaven. What makes you forgiven in your standing before God is whether you have ever, yes or no, chosen to repent of your sin and by faith truly trust Jesus Christ to be Lord of your life. And then the first act of obedience is then to be baptized 
in the name of the Lord Jesus. And so Paul would never have baptized them, leading them to think that baptism saved them. They were baptized on the basis of what Christ had already done in their heart. And so here were a group of individuals that, that, had, that had received this diluted form of the gospel. Don't miss this. They thought that just because they'd been baptized into John's baptism and, don't, and they had attached themselves to the church, and they started calling themselves disciples, that that made them all right. And friend, I want to remind you, it doesn't matter what I think about you. It doesn't matter what the local church thinks about you. It matters how God sees you. And Paul was trying to lead these individuals to see they may have been baptized into John's baptism, but they had never been born again by the Spirit of God through repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. If you've never been saved, that's what you need to do today. You need to push away from this doctrine of the good Baptist. I'm a good God-fearing person. And I take my hat off for the star smell. Man, you'll never see me kneeling for the national anthem. I'm good to my neighbor. And I, boy, I'm emotional, you know, just being here this morning. Hearing, hearing songs, sir, boy, reminds me of mama. Good times, reminds me of things in the church. I've got all these great feelings. None of that matters. What matters is have you personally ever been born again? That's what Paul was trying to challenge them. They need to receive the true gospel. It's a gospel of repentance. It's a gospel of lordship. Jesus said in Luke 13, 3, except you repent, you'll all likewise perish. It's not a a gospel of works. You can't do it. It's it's a gift that you receive, lest any man should boast. Have you ever done that? Sadly, men are unusable because they've never been born again. Why don't you look at me this morning? If you died today, and you were standing before a holy God, and he asked you, why should I allow you into my kingdom? What would you tell him? Could you truly point him to a time where as the Spirit of God convicted you of your lostness, you chose to turn and trust Jesus to be Lord of your life? If you hadn't, you'd be a part of that crowd in Matthew chapter 7 that Jesus says, sadly, one day will stand and try to say, now, I was, a, I was a member of a church. I was a member of a church. I mean, I served, I sang, I was baptized. But Jesus looks into your heart friend, and sees the truth. He says, but I never knew you. You attached yourself to the church. You received a deluded form of the gospel, but you were never born again. If that's you, friend, turn and trust Christ today. Be saved. I'll tell you another mark on the lives of individuals that are unusable by God. Not only is it that they received a deluded gospel, but there's a desensitation towards truth. A desensitation toward truth. You know, if you hold a piece of ice long enough, your hand will go numb. You don't even know it's there anymore. You don't know it's there. A lot of people do that with biblical truth. They're exposed to it so long, they hear it for so long, that it just goes in one ear and out the other. They become just absolutely desensitized to it. That's what happened to a group of people that Paul's ministering to in Ephesus. After these twelve received this truth, uh, after they were baptized... Um, Paul began to, to, 
to, to minister to other individuals. I just want to share in passing, look at verse number 6, that something happens here that never happens again in the book of Acts. Again, after he laid hands on them as a sign of what God had accomplished, just like on the day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit came upon them, and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. And this will share because of the area that we're living in. We're going to spend about a minute here. It wasn't an unknown tongue. It was unknown to them. But by the biblical definition of what tongues are in Acts chapter 2, verses 4 through 11, they began to speak the gospel in the language, the foreign language of someone else that was there. It was known to them, but it wasn't known to the individual that was saying it. And so it wasn't some gibberish that edified the individual. It was so that other people could hear the gospel in their native language before that which perfect has come, and that's the completed canon of Scripture. And so we don't see that take place in the book of Acts anymore. But after those things happen, look what the Bible says in verse number 8, that Paul went into the synagogue. This is where all the religious people were. And he spoke boldly for three months. And look what he did. He was reasoning and persuading you know, not about how God's going to turn all your scars into stars, or how you can have your best life now, or how every day can be like Friday. You know, that God loves you and just wants you to be happy. But, but he spoke and reasoned for three months concerning the things of the kingdom of God. Matthew 6, Jesus said, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, then all these things shall be added unto you. What was he speaking about? He was speaking about Christ. Total lordship over anyone's life. No compartmentalization. That's what Paul began to speak to these religious people. For three solid months, he preached and taught about the kingdom of God. You need to repent. It's not about, well, we're religious people. We're members of the synagogue. We're, we're Jews. We're Abraham's seed. Moses led us out. Paul just can need to tell them, none of that matters. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is that Paul just kept telling this religious group of people, it doesn't matter how long you've been a member of the synagogue. It doesn't matter how the good God-fearing person you are. You've got to be born again. Jesus must be Lord over every area of your life, or he's Lord over nothing. And so Paul just, don't miss this, he just kept preaching the gospel and giving invitations. Preaching the gospel and giving invitations. And look what the Bible says happened in verse number 9. But when some of them were hardened, what happened? They continued to hear the gospel day after day, Sunday after Sunday, and they became hardened to it. They became desensitized. Hellbucket was no longer hot to them. It was just a fun place to go with all your lost friends. It would be like spring break. And just ride your motorcycle through hell. Everything's going to be great in hell. Just can't desensitize to it. And Paul kind of became, you know, well, he's, you know, I think Paul really, he's just kind of legalistic. This isn't making me feel, I'm just, I don't have a positive self image about myself. I really tell you, I'm just, I'm not, I'm going home from the synagogue and I'm just feeling bad. I don't like this anymore. This, this isn't helping. I need some messages that are going to help me embrace my inner child and find the happiness that God wants me to have. That's what I need to hear. I need, I need someone that's going to you know, make me feel more positive about my self-image and who I am. You know what Paul gave him? Repent or you're going to split hell wide open. 
He just continued to preach the gospel of God, and these individuals wouldn't respond, and they became desensitized. He didn't scare them anymore. They weren't worried about dying and going to hell. And so they became hardened, and look what the Bible says further in verse number 9. They didn't believe. They just became numb. These, these are lost people. These aren't saved people who have trusted Christ. John 3, 16, For God so loved the world and gave His only begotten Son, whosoever believeth in Him, that is, who's been born in, believes unto salvation, should not perish but have everlasting life. That means once saved, always saved. You say, well, Brother Chad, what about the person that served in the church and they, man, they, they were a deacon, they were a Sunday school teacher, they were a WMU leader and they just served, served, served and now they've departed and they act like they don't even know God. Have they lost their salvation? Friend, you can't lose what you never had. You can't lose what you never had. So these individuals are never born again. The Bible says they went out from us because they were not of us. And so these individuals become so desensitized to truth. They won't even receive. And now they begin to speak evil of the word. And notice what happened. They didn't depart. Paul departed. But when some of them were hardened and did not believe, but spoke evil of the way. What's the way? The plan of salvation. Repentance and surrender to Christ's lordship. Because everybody else had made it easy to believe Just Anybody, if you'd like to join the church... Just come forward this morning, sign this card. All right, we've got this fellow that's come forward. He wants to join the church. I wonder if someone has a motion. I make a motion. We accept him. Is there a second? There's a second. All those here. Amen. Amen. Woo! He's been saved. He's joined the church. Paul says, no way. He began to preach the true gospel that Christ gave him as a minister. And they became hardened, they became desensitized, and they began to speak evil of that. So, you know, we don't, we, don't, we don't like this. We don't want to hear this. And they started not just telling it to Paul, they murmured to everybody. They wouldn't share the gospel, but they'd sure murmur against it. And so the Bible says that he, Paul, departed from them and withdrew the disciples away. But notice this, all the lost people stayed attached to the synagogue. And I'm telling you, friend, today... There are churches all across this country. There are people who are making pews warm all across this country today that if they died, they'll split hell wide open. Why? Because they've never been born again. They joined the church. They were baptized. But they never repented and trusted Christ to be Lord of their life. And again, friend, the great need is whether I'm not whether I know you or someone else, does Jesus Christ know you through a personal saving relationship? Because on the authority of God's Word, your ears may have become numb to it because you have been so saturated with the gospel here in the South. But if you've never been born again and you die without Christ, the Bible says, sadly, you'll spend eternity in a place called hell where the fire is not quenched and the worm dieth not. That's the truth of God's Word. And that's the need in your heart. They were so around the gospel so long, they became desensitized, and they cross God's deadline. And the time-transcending verse, truth of this verse, friend, is that it's entirely possible to grow up in the church and around the church and never yield to the convicting call of the Holy Spirit to be saved. Just detach yourself to the church. And there's a, there's a deadline, friend. You can cross God's deadline, and the Holy Spirit won't draw you or call you anymore. 
The author of Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 3, verse number 7 says, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you will hear His words, to hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion in the day of trial where your fathers tested me. The Bible teaches it's entirely possible just to harden your heart against the gospel. Jesus said in John chapter 12 that the Jews, many of them had crossed God's deadline. The Bible says, but although Jesus had done so many signs before them. Now this was Christ, this wasn't Paul. Jesus had done miracles before the Jews. Many would not believe on him. The word of Isaiah became true. Lord, who's believed our report? To whom have the arm of the Lord been revealed? They'd seen God's power through Christ. Therefore, they could not believe because God had blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts lest they should see with their eyes, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn so that God should heal them. What's the Bible teaching? It's teaching this, Fred. You better hear me this morning. If the Spirit of God is convicting you that you've never been born again, you better turn to Jesus Christ in saving faith and trust Him today because the Bible does not promise that you'll ever have another opportunity. So the Bible says, Whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. It does. But the Bible also says, Unless the Spirit of God draws you, you'll not call on God to save you. He initiates salvation. And then we have to choose to respond in saving faith. Not only did they receive the deluded gospel and did they become desensitized to truth, but another mark of those that are unusable by God is there's a deficiency in discipleship. There's a deficiency in discipleship. Something has happened where they're not, they're not growing. Now, this is believers. Lost people can't be discipled. You can't make a man or a woman out of somebody who doesn't exist. A child has to be born. And then they grow into the man or woman that God wants them to be. You can't serve God, John 3, 7, until you're spiritually born again. So the deficiency in discipleship is in believers. But there's a truth here that really stands out. Remember, Great Commission works not only about reaching. Help me out, church. Don't bear me in front of visitors this morning. It's also about teaching. It's teaching people to observe all things whatsoever God has commanded us. And so look at Paul's number question again in verse number 2. Now he's speaking to these lost people, but the application speaks to the church. Paul began to speak to these individuals and said, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, We've not even so much as heard whether there's a Holy Spirit. Who? Who are you talking about? They didn't have a clue what the Bible taught about the Holy Spirit. But I want you to listen to this. Now, don't miss this. They said they'd been baptized into John's baptism. True or false? True. That's what they'd said. So they should have known then what John had to say about his baptism. And in Luke chapter 3 and in verse number 16, John answered saying to all, not to just... One person, but John's going to make a statement to all those who gathered. He says, I indeed baptize with water, but one mightier than I is coming. That's Jesus Christ, whose sandal I am not worthy to loose. And he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. That's what John had taught. And these guys, they were dumb as a stump. They didn't even know the Holy Spirit who? 
Well, we're disciples of John. John talked about the Holy Spirit. He says, look, I'm just paving the way for the one that's going to come. He's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. He's going to be greater. I'm not even worthy to unlatch the, the little part of the, that holds his sandal together. And so they didn't hear what they needed to hear. One of two truths, either they'd never been taught by individuals that had led them into John's baptism, or they'd never listened. One of the two was true. And this statement comes for him from 12 lost people. But I'm telling you, you, you can't build a man or woman unless somebody's been born again. But this truth really speaks to people in the church who aren't growing in the Lord. The, the degree to which God can use you as a learner or follower of Jesus Christ will never rise above your commitment to be a disciple or your time in learning in the Word of God. The reason many Christians are never used by God is they don't know, they don't know a thing about Him beyond salvation. They don't know what their spiritual gift is. They don't know how to share the gospel. They don't spend time every day. Biblically, they're ignorant. If you asked them to find the book of Hezekiah, they'd start turning pages looking for it. Because they've never, they, they don't, they've never taken time to learn the basics about God's Word. He said, well, I, I just have struggle, struggles with learning. I want you to listen to me. The Bible says in the book of Philippians that a believer, Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You can learn what you want to learn. You can learn what you want to learn. And the reason so many Christians walk in defeat, have no joy of salvation, never are used by God to accomplish anything, is because there's a deficiency in their discipleship. They prayed to receive Jesus Christ to be Lord of their life, took two steps forward and built them a tent, and they're going to camp out until the rapture or death comes. They're just there. And so it, it represents a sad truth for so many. And I can promise you this, friend. There's a lot of things this church you know, is never going to teach you and never going to do. There's a lot of churches that have more bells and whistles than we've got. Newer buildings, fresher paint, all these pony rides for the kids every Sunday, you name it, they've got it. But I'll promise you this, you won't find a church that's got more of a commitment to teach you the truth of God's Word than Greenwood Baptist Church does. And it's not because of the people that are here, it's because of our commitment to the mission and the message of God. It's not about person. You can find a whole lot better preachers than me. Smoother talking, better looking. But you'll not find anybody that's more committed, friend, to teach you God's Word, line upon line, precept upon precept. And to make sure our Sunday school teachers are doing that. Take some prayer requests, share things, but teach the Word of God. Teach the time-transcending truth and make application for all grade levels. That's discipleship. To teach you how to view problems in the world through the lens of Scripture. Not through the lens of the world. Well, I wonder how Oprah will do this. Who cares? How would mom regret? Well, what's trending on social media? We don't care as disciples of Christ. We want to know what the Bible says. How can we respond to the challenges of life according to God's Word? And so we want you to be equipped. But that's a supplement. That's a supplement. The responsibility rests upon you every morning and throughout the day to take time to study God's Word. 
You've got to study God's Word, internalize it. Your Word have I hidden in my heart that I may not sin against you. You've got to put the effort in, in the work, if you're going to grow as a disciple. So not only receive through Bible teaching ministries of the church, but primarily through personal daily Bible study. They were unusable because they had the deficiency in their discipleship. Child of God, I want you to look at me this morning. Are you maximizing every opportunity that God gives you to grow in the knowledge of Him through the study and the application of His Word? He knows the truth, and you do too. Those are marks of those that are unusable. But boy, look at the positive now, secondly. Look at those that are used. That God takes their life and does powerful and wonderful things through them. Very quickly this morning, I want you to notice some truths about those that are used, some marks upon their lives. First off, they have a surrendered will. They have a surrendered will. Galatians chapter 2 and verse number 20. The Apostle Paul, would, he would begin to write about really what, what the secret was to how he was used by God. He says, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. That, that Paul says, I don't have an agenda. I don't have any areas in my life that are, that are out of God's reach. He says, but Christ lives in me, and the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The Apostle Paul had a surrendered will. He had laid his life at the feet of Jesus, and God did miraculous things through him. Look at, look at one of these. Verse 11 says, Now God worked unusual miracles by the hands of Paul. Now Paul was a tent maker by trade. And I'm sure that was hot work sitting out there under maybe one of the tents he'd made, one of those little black goat hair tents. Uh, I've, I've sat under one before someone had made, and it was, boy, I mean, it would break the shade. Boy, it's still hot. And so putting all those together, and so he would wipe his brow as he worked. The aprons that he wore, his sweat dripped on. And the Bible says so that even the handkerchiefs or the aprons were brought from his body to the sick, and the diseases left them, and the evil spirits came, from, came out of them. Isn't that something? Paul just wiped an old sweat rag across his head, and somebody took it, gave it to a sick person, and they were healed. It was a miracle. But here's the question, friend. Do you have so much of God in your life that it rubs off on other people? Paul was so surrendered to the Lordship of Christ that God used him in a supernatural way. Friend, no one may ever take a sweat rag that you've touched and heal somebody, but I'm telling you this, friend, does your surrender to Christ daily, just as Gracie may say, can people see Christ's life in you and it leads them in place to really the greatest healing and it's not that their legs are lengthened or that their liver's healed or their gizzard's healed, but that they're spiritually born again into Jesus Christ. That's the greatest miracle. Paul was so surrendered, his will was so surrendered, he didn't care whether he died. He just wanted God's perfect will to be done. I'll tell you a second mark on the life of someone that God uses. Now, this, these are the used. Look at your Bibles. There's steady growth in their life. You know, a lot of people in the church... Their growth is based upon drama. You know, when everything's fine, good report from the doctor, lipids, cholesterol, triglycerides, everything are in good shape, C word doesn't exist, no cancer, kids are acting okay. You know, everything's like, well, you know, I'm, I really don't need the church, I really don't need God. But then all of a sudden, if something happens, buddy, they want on the prayer list and they're back to the church. 
They're at the altar, and boy, they're all in. I want to serve God, and God, I just want your will to be done in my life, God. I just want you to take this pain away and this heartache. And then when the sun begins to shine, they're gone. No growth. Just in and out, in and out, in and out, in and out. No true commitment. Not the Apostle Paul. He had steady growth. Steady growth so much, don't miss this, that even hell took notice. The devil knew who the Apostle Paul was. Paul was so committed to Jesus Christ that the devil had put a mark on his back. He says, we got to watch that guy. He's not in and out like all these Baptists that really don't love God. It's just a club. They've got to get out of the hell ticket. But they're going to live in sin, out of sin, do whatever they want, and hold their legalism flag up every time they get upset. See, we don't have to worry about that crowd because they're never going to tell anybody or lead anybody to Jesus Christ. But somebody that surrendered to God's lordship and growing like Paul, we've got to watch out for that guy. Well, look what happened. The Bible says in verse number 14, that, verse 13, that there were some itinerant Jews. This is an interesting story. They were exorcists. They'd never been saved, but they, they tried to get demons out of people for money. Well, they took it upon themselves. What's that mean? God never called them to do what they're fixing to do. And they found somebody who had an evil spirit in him. And they come and says, we exercise you by Jesus whom Paul preaches. Now, they were trying to claim somebody they didn't even know. They didn't know who Jesus was. They had never even received Jesus. Don't miss this. They were just mouthing words thinking that it would make a difference. Listen to me. Pay, pay attention. You need to hear this. Just like somebody who comes forward at a service has no intention of surrendering their life wholly to Jesus Christ, has no intention of being all in. And they heard somebody else say, and I'm going to pray a prayer like this in the service. They, they just pray a prayer and say, Now, Lord Jesus, forgive me a sinner. I believe you died for me, God. And I want to be saved. I believe if Jesus died for me, save me, Jesus. They've heard the words. They heard somebody say the words. And so they're going to say words with no hard intention that it really reflects their heart. And so these guys say these religious words that they'd heard Paul say and thinking, you know, we can make some money out of this. We can get advanced. We can get a following out of this. We're going we're gonna to pull this demon out of this guy. And it was seven sons of, of a Jewish priest named Sceva. Look what happens in verse number 15. The evil spirit, now this is one of Satan's helpers, this demon, the evil spirit, look at verse 15, answered and said, now I heard your prayer, okay? And Jesus I know... And Paul, listen, he's got steady growth. We know who he is, but who are you? We know Jesus and we know Paul. We don't know who you are. You've got no power. And then the man on whom the evil spirit was, he leaped on these seven boys, overpowered them, absolutely beat them to death, and they ran out of the, they ran out of the house, bruised, beaten, naked as a jaybird. An absolute, and there are people like that in churches. Friend, you, you, think, you think the words make a difference. Friend, the words make no difference unless they truly reflect your heart. I'm going to lead lost people this morning to pray a prayer. But if it doesn't reflect a repentant heart, it means nothing to a holy God. It means nothing. 
And so these individuals, they, they had no steady growth whatsoever. The, one of the Christians that God uses, friend, has a steady growth in their life. They are committed. They, they've got the attitude, the attitude that says, I've come too far to go back. I've come too far, and there's nothing to go back to. I don't want the old world. I don't want the sin. I don't want the condemnation. I want the joy I have, sunshine or rain, walking with Jesus Christ in the fullness of the Spirit every day. There's a steady growth. I'll tell you another mark on their life. It's a sanctified walk. A sanctified walk. Well, look what the Bible says in verse number 17. This became known to all Jews and Greeks dwelling in Ephesus, and fear fell on them all. I reckon it did. Can you imagine that? We came to church this morning and said, you know, well, what happened down the road to the house? Well, there was some guy down there, and these religious hacks went by, and they tried to exercise this demon, and and we saw in the news, they were running down the road, naked as jaybird, bleeding. What happened? Well, I mean, they tried to throw this religious talk around, and the demon wore them out. So this was a small community. Fear fell on everybody. The name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. But look what happened. Many of those who had confessed Christ, don't miss this, many of those who had trusted in Christ, they realized that sanctification, that is a daily being set apart for God's use, Daily realizing, I've still got areas in my life that aren't under Christ's control. God, I didn't know about that place in my heart. God, I was blinded to that. God, I, well, I didn't really see, God, that, you know, watching this kind of movie was, was sinful. God, I didn't really recognize that, you know, being friends with these people, that they had any influence on me. God, I didn't recognize that this kind of speech was, was wrong. And so, God, I'm giving all of this to you. God, I didn't realize, you know, that having all this liquor in my house was, was a sin before you. And really, every alcoholic becomes one by one drink, and I'm, I'm influencing those around me to become one. God, I didn't recognize all that. God didn't recognize that smoking cigarettes and chewing tobacco is really tearing apart the temple of the Lord, this one body you've given me to serve you in. I didn't recognize that. And so, God, I want, I want, to, I want to turn from all that. Look, look what the Bible says. It says, and many of those who had believed came confessing and telling their deeds. They experienced revival. They realized at that moment they weren't where they needed to be. And so salvation, friend, brings us into a relationship with Jesus Christ, but it's a daily pilgrimage. And there's always the need daily to repent of sin that's happened immediately when it takes place. And these were individuals that had a sanctified walk. And it was costly. Look at verse number 19. Many of those who had practiced magic, now they'd been saved. They brought their books together. Now Ephesus was a center of the occult. Many of them had brought uh, all these books together and they burned them in the side of all. They didn't put them in the closet so they could get them out later. They got rid of any in way that Satan could use to influence them away from Christ. That's repentance. That's repentance. These are individuals that God could use because daily they were trying to get closer to God. Listen, they didn't come and argue with the preacher about how close they could get to the fire without being burned. Now, now is this written? Now, are you sure this is really a sin? Anything Satan could use to lure them away from Christ, they wanted it gone because they wanted to draw closer to Jesus Christ. They had a sanctified walk, and God, God used them. And repentance is costly. Look, it costs 50,000 pieces of silver. All of this cost that much, and they didn't care. They wanted it gone. I'll tell you a fourth mark, friend, of those that are used. They have a selfless attitude, and I close. Notice what happens in verse 21. 
And when these things were accomplished, all these things that happened, verse 20 says, the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed in the individual's lives. When all these things were accomplished, Paul purposed in the Spirit when he had passed through Macedonia and Achaia to go to Jerusalem saying, after I have been there, I must also see Rome. Well, guess what? He wasn't going on a sightseeing tour in Rome. Guess what was going to happen in Rome? He was going to have his head separated from his body after he preached the gospel. He knew what awaited him. He didn't care. And not only that, verse 22, he, so he also sent to Macedonia two of those who ministered to him. If there was anybody who needed some help in ministry, it was Paul. But he didn't care. He was selfless. Paul never got his feelings hurt at church. I'll tell you two words that never came out of Paul's mouth. Church hurt. Well, I just got my feelings hurt at church. So I, why don't you go to church? Well, I got my feelings. Who hadn't got their feelings hurt at church? Are you kidding me? But you weren't going to knock Paul out of serving the Lord because he had a selfless spirit. He says, I want to send Timothy and Erastus to somebody else where the Word of God can grow mightily. I'll go on by myself. That's a selfless attitude. That's the kind of person that God can use. Paul had a it's-not-about-me attitude. The question to ask this morning is this, child of God, listen, am I that kind of disciple? Am I that kind of disciple that God can really use? Is my life marked by that kind of growth and surrender? I guess the question to ask today is this, am I being used or am I unusable today because of my spiritual standing before a holy God? Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. With all my heart, with all my heart, I want to beg you today, if you've never been saved, to surrender your life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Won't you listen to me? God loves you. And He demonstrated that love by sending Christ to die for you. Not so you could join a church. Not so you could just get a get-out-of-hell-free ticket and leave your life however you wanted to. But so that He could save you from your sins and then live the life He wants to through you. Has there ever really been a time in your life where you turned from your sin in repentance and wholly you surrendered your life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ and you told Him so with a simple prayer of faith that said, I want to turn from sin and I want Jesus to be Lord of me. Let's get personal with it. Let's go back to our question. If you died today, are you 100% certain you'd go to heaven? If you're not, friends, settle it today. Choose to turn from sin. By faith, trust Jesus to be Lord of your life as you lay it holy at His feet today. The Bible says, Whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. It doesn't matter how much sin you've committed, how far you've sunk in sin's barrel. It's not farther than God's grace can't reach you, take you, and save you if you'll only turn and receive Him today. Tell Him so right where you sit today, silently. A simple prayer of faith like this. It's not the words, friend. It's that the words reflect a heart that truly wants to repent and trust Christ to be Lord of your life. But if you do, you tell Him just like this. God, forgive me of my sin. I admit I'm a sinner today. I believe Jesus died. I believe He rose again.
And today I'm surrendering my life to him. Holy. No part of my life is off limits. I want Jesus to be Lord of me. I turn from sin. And I choose Jesus to be Lord of my life. Did you pray that prayer this morning? Did you mean it? In just a moment, I'm going to invite you to step out in one of these aisles and make your way forward to where I stand. Just like Carson and Shelby did a few weeks ago. They were bold enough and brave enough to say, I've trusted Christ. I've surrendered my life to Christ's lordship. And I want everybody to know. I want to tell you what God wants to do next in your life. Did you make that decision? Well, they begin to sing in just a moment after I pray. I'm going to invite you to step out in one of these aisles and make your way forward. What say you, child of God? Are you usable or unusable today? Has sin taken back over your life? Is there a deficiency in discipleship? Are you learning more about Jesus every day? Or are you just kind of drifting along with the flow of life? Have you got a selfish attitude that's affected the home, your workplace, your marriage? It's, it's not about Jesus first, others second, and you last. It's me, me, me. Is that you today? Resurrender your life to Christ's Lordship. As He speaks to your heart, that His will be accomplished today. Father, I pray You'll challenge us, speak to us. God, I pray that which You desire to accomplish will be accomplished. God, I pray this. I pray this in Jesus' name. I pray men and women will not harden their hearts today toward what You want to do, but will yield ourselves to it. That Jesus' will might be accomplished in our life. That's my prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's reverently stand to our feet.